waymaker. You are a promise keeper. You are our light in the darkness. And even when we can't see it, even when we don't feel it, even when we, we feel like nothing's going on, you're working. That you never stop working on our behalf. You never stop working in our lives. And God, we pray as we, we continue with this service that you wouldn't stop working. That God, you would work through your word. That you would touch every heart. You would heal every heart. You would turn lives around this morning because that's who you are. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Do feel free to take your, your seats. Um, we're starting a new teaching series this morning. Um, and I, I say teaching series as opposed to preaching series because I'd like your permission to, to teach um, over the next few weeks. Um, I, I would suggest my gift is more a teaching gift than a preaching gift, if I'm really honest. I, maybe it's because of my, my training, maybe, maybe a bit of my background, but I'd like to teach um, for a few weeks um, because we're, we're starting a new series. We've called it Journey to the Cross where we're going to be looking at uh, the, the period of time in Jesus' life. You may know it as the Passion Week, the, the final week of Jesus' life. And we're going to take some of the major events of, of Jesus' life and look at them in a bit more detail. And um, what we're going to do, because, of, because we've added the Bible study, and basically because I couldn't fit it in on a Sunday morning, because of the number of weeks we got to Easter, the Bible study will be one of those messages um, where we'll look at one of the events of, of, of Jesus. Um, and I want to start today by looking at the, the, what's called the first event in the Passion Week. And traditionally, we leave this for the Sunday before Easter, because we talk about the triumphant entry, the entry where Jesus goes into Jerusalem on a donkey. And, and it's a significant narrative. It's a significant event in the life of Jesus because all four gospel writers record it. It's one of the, the, the few things that all four gospel writers include in their gospels. And what I want to do, um, to allow a bit of continuity, for the next four or five weeks, we're going to take everything from the book of Mark. Um, that's not because I don't like Matthew or Luke or John. It's just to allow us continuity. We're going to stay in the book of Mark. I'll dip in and out of some other passages, um, but, but, but for the, the main chunk of everything we do for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at Mark. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, I'd love it if you turned with me to Mark chapter 11. And just to give you a bit of, of, of timeline, Jesus has healed Bartimaeus. He's also just healed Lazarus. That's, that's included in John's gospel. Jesus is coming um, towards Jerusalem um, or, or Bethany, and he's just healed Lazarus, and, he, and he's on his way into Jerusalem. So Jesus, uh, Mark 11 says this, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what are you doing, just say the Lord needs it and we'll return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said, that what, they said what Jesus had told them to say and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! 
Some translations will say Hosanna. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God. Hosanna in highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. And he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. Now this story, this narrative, begins with, with really great expectations of the, of the people uh, on Jesus. And they're actually easy to miss because when you look at the timeline of Jesus uh, coming towards Jerusalem, he's been in Bethany where he resurrected his friend Lazarus. And John's gospel gives us that narrative. It says this, that many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Nazareth from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they'd heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there is nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. You know, Lazarus has, has barely come out of the grave. His eyes are still adjusting to the sunlight, and suddenly the news has spread throughout the region. And the crowd can see Jesus coming, and there's an expectation that God's going to do something. There's an expectation that God is going to move. There's an expectation that, you know, God is going to act in the way he's just acted before. He'll intervene again. He is going to come and rule. He's going to come and reign. He will. He will kick out this, this Roman army. He'll, he'll expel these conquerors and he'll come and he'll establish a new kingdom in Jerusalem. And so here Jesus comes from the east over the Kidron Valley, over the Mount of Olives, and he sends his disciples ahead. And he says, I need you to go and do something. They go and get a donkey and he heads towards Jerusalem. And we need to remember here that this is the start of Passover. This is the first uh, day or the start of Passover week. And Passover week is, is the week where the Jews celebrate the exodus from Egypt. It's where they celebrate their release from the clutches of Pharaoh, that release from slavery and out into freedom. And the Last Supper took place on the very, very last Saturday of Passover because the Last Supper was a Passover supper where they celebrated Passover together. And Passover probably is still the most important week in the Jewish community. In their Jewish calendar, it's probably the still, most, still the most important week. And every Jew was encouraged to go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You couldn't do it every year. Some people made it every 10 years. Some people only made it once in their life. But every Jew was encouraged at Passover to get to Jerusalem. So it didn't matter what route Jesus took. Whatever way he went, he'd be surrounded by people. He would be surrounded by people coming into Jerusalem. He would have been surrounded by thousands of people who would have been camping outside the city. They'd be camping outside the city because accommodation was expensive. Who's ever tried to get into a city when there's a big event happening in the city and the hotel prices have ramped up? That's what happened. So people would come to Jerusalem. They couldn't afford to stay in Jerusalem because the local inn owners had ramped up their prices. So around the outside of Jerusalem, there are hundreds of thousands of tents of all these Jewish people coming to Jerusalem for Passover. So whatever way Jesus came, he comes down the hill and into a mass of people who've heard the news of Lazarus, who've heard this is, this is the Son of God, this is Jesus who's going to come and kick out the Romans. Remember, the Jews were oppressed by the Romans. This, this Passover was a tinderbox because you had thousands of, of nationalistic Jews who wanted their country back and the oppressive Romans looking after them. I can tell you a story of, of one riot that's recorded in, in, in Jewish history. It's not in the Bible. 
um, of a Roman soldier who was, who was out in the Antonia Fortress, and he was looking down at the crowd. And whatever came over him, I don't know. But the, the Jews were kind of giving him a bit of stick, you know, you dirty Romans, get out of our country. So he, he turned round, lifted up his skirt, and bent over. And that first recorded moon resulted in a riot. 30,000 Jews were recorded to have, have been crushed in that riot. I mean, the, the historian there, we've got to be careful with his numbers because he tends to exaggerate, but you can see how, how hostile this situation was. This was a really hostile situation, and, and that's, that's important, um, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But, but Jesus is coming down, and he's surrounded by the poor. He's surrounded by the oppressed. He's surrounded by the downcast. He's surrounded by those he's spoken to, those he's healed, those he's released, those whose lives he's transformed. And they see Jesus coming and they are desperate for change. They're desperate for hope. Matthew's version says that he turns the whole city into uproar. Uh, one translation says the whole city is in turmoil. And, and the Greek word there is the word we use for seismic. And when we talk about seismic activity, we talk about the ground shaking. We talk about earthquakes. And I love that idea that Matthew carries, that the city shakes as Jesus approaches. The city trembles as Jesus comes nearer. And they wave palm branches. And the palm branches are just a sign of expectation. They're the expectation of the crowd. They're pronouncing, this is their king. Hosanna, they sing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of David. And that's taken from Psalm 118. And the word Hosanna means save now or save us now. These people are asking God to drive out the Romans, drive out this enemy army, establish a new kingdom. And even the donkey is important. The donkey has a role in raising expectations because it reminds the Jews who know their Bible, who, who know their scriptures of a prophecy that was given. Zechariah 9 says, listen, your king comes to you. This new king comes to you. He comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. So the donkey was important. This was a really deliberate prophetic statement orchestrated by Jesus, arranged to send out the exact message to the people, hey, I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. And on the road out of Jericho, if you remember the story of Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus calls Jesus the son of David. And Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he's called the same thing. He's the son of David. He's declaring his kingship. And, and when they throw their cloaks on the ground, again, that was something you only did for royalty. You didn't do that for anyone. So everything in this passage points to Jesus being the king. And the expectation rises. But what I want to do this morning is I want to take you back to verse 2 and, and hover over this. Because I want to talk about donkeys. I want to speak for a few moments about donkeys, um, the cult, the young cult. And I think, I think this, this donkey is pivotal to this narrative. I actually think this donkey is the most important thing in this passage. And I'll tell you why. Because the first thing is Jesus does this. Jesus knew where the donkey was. And I want you to catch that. Jesus knew where the donkey was. Yeah, the donkey's tied up, but Jesus knows it's there. The donkey's young, but Jesus knows it's there. The donkey's maybe not fulfilling its purpose at the moment, but Jesus knows it's there. Can I tell you that if Jesus knows where a donkey is, he knows where you are. 
And in your life, it doesn't matter if, if you feel you're too young or too old or too used up or not good enough. Jesus knows where you are. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves that, the, that God knows where we are. God knows exactly where we are, and there's a plan and a purpose for us, even if he doesn't come and get us yet. He still knows where we are. He knows where we are to come and get us. Aren't you glad, glad God knows where you are? But this is the bit that's maybe more important. Jesus knows where you are, but he prefers it when you're where you need to be. Because the donkey was where it needed to be. Luke's version said they found the donkey just as Jesus had said. The donkey was where Jesus needed it to be. Jesus knows where you are. He knows where you are, but what Jesus would like it to be is if you're where he wants you to be. And there's a subtle difference that I want you to catch. Why was the donkey tied to a post? Because if it wasn't, he would wander off. It would wander off and join the other donkeys. It would wander into another field. It would go and do what it wanted. If it wasn't tied to the spot, it could go wherever it wanted to. And, and church is so easy for us to wander off. It's so easy for us to start drifting into places that, that, that we're not supposed to be. And things will come in that, that will occupy our time. And you know, donkeys will just see another bit of grass and they'll eat that bit of grass. Then they'll see another bit of grass and they'll eat that bit of grass. And suddenly they're so far away from where they were meant to be because they've just been allowed to wander. And it doesn't mean that's sinful. It just means they've just taken one step after one step after one step and they're not where they're meant to be. And things will pull on our priorities. And, and I'm not saying that's always sinful, but there are times when, when God comes looking for us here and we're over here. And God goes, okay, I know where you are, but you're not where I need you to be. You're not in the place I need you to be. And, and actually, God can't use us because we're not where he needs us to be. Because God's over here wanting to use us, and we've gone over here, and we're just going, no, no, no. God's not using me. No, God's not using me. I've just left, been left alone by God. No. And God's saying, you're in the wrong place. You're not where I need you to be. And we need to be planted. It's why we run house groups. It's why we do prayer meetings. It's why we do Bible studies. It's why we do everything we do in the week to help you stay planted, to help you be where you need to be. Do you know, a tree that isn't planted can't bear fruit. If you're not planted, you can't bear fruit. If you want to bear fruit, you need to be planted. You need to be planted in a house group, planted in the Word of God, planted in relationships so that you can bear fruit. But here's the thing, and, and I was a bit torn with this because the donkey was planted. It was where it needed to be, but it was still unused. And I've wrestled with this over the, over the week, and I've kind of come to this understanding, and I may be wrong, that, that actually this idea of planted is, is, is layered. It's on multiple layers. That actually we can be where God needs us to be, but God still might not use us yet. And I just want to hold that tension because the donkey was where it needed to be, but it was unused. The text said that no one had ever sat on it. That donkey had a purpose. It had a plan. It was there for a reason, but it hadn't been released into it. And the donkey was exactly where it needed to be, but it hadn't been used. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that donkey. 
that you're in the right place. You know you're in the plans and purposes of God. You know you're where you need to be. You stayed planted. You stayed committed. But, but you, you spent your life or months or, or weeks just being unused. And you started to feel tied up. You started to feel that rope around your neck. You start, you've watched other people get used. You've watched other people get chosen for different jobs. You've watched other people do incredible things. And then there's you. And you've been loyal. And you've been faithful. And you've done everything God's called you to do. But you're still sat there. And I haven't been used. And you start to feel insecure. You start to feel isolated. You start to feel frustrated. You start to feel rejected. You, you start wrestling with, with low self-esteem. You start to feel overlooked. You start to feel tied up. And you start to ask, well, what's the point? Why am I here? What am I doing all this for if God's just not going to use me, if nobody chooses me? And you know God's holding on to you. And you're stuck in that tension and you can't explain it. And you live in that moment where everything inside you is telling you to stay and stay planted and stay still and stay in what God wants you to do. But you see all the other donkeys running. And you see all the other donkeys doing what they're called to do. And, you, and, you, and you're, you're stuck because you need to stay planted and you need to wait. I don't know if I'm talking to anyone this morning. But that's something I don't mind telling you. I've gone through that. And I can tell you of a time that didn't last a couple of weeks. It didn't last a couple of months. It lasted three years. Where I was incredibly frustrated and I was so tempted to run. And go and be with the other donkeys. And I was so tempted to walk away. And I'm not saying about from God, but actually from, from what I was doing in ministry. And I was really frustrated. Because I'd stayed planted. I hadn't missed church in seven years. Every Sunday. I hadn't missed a beat. I'd been at every meeting, every church service, every prayer meeting, every Bible study. And I, I'd stuck at it. And I wasn't being used. I was being overlooked. I was being kind of under utilized and, and everything inside me wanted to run everything inside me wanted to run and be free and go and be with the other donkeys but I knew inside me there was something that I had to hold on to there was something I had to wait for there was something I had to stay planted for and you know two years ago God came along and he grabbed my rope and he untied me and he said okay I need to use you now and that was a phone call that brought us here and, and suddenly I want to say to you, if you're in that position where you're just feeling that you, you stayed planted, you stayed faithful, nothing happened, and one day people are going to come and they're going to grab your rope. And they're going to untie you and they're going to say, listen, your master needs you. Because God has a plan. Because the donkey's isolation was God's reservation. The donkey's isolation was God's reservation. God was reserving that donkey for such a time as this. He was reserving him for the right time. He had a specific purpose for that donkey that no other donkey could achieve. There was something that donkey was called and born to do that no other donkey could do. And sometimes you have to go through a period of isolation. You have to go through a period of ambiguity. You have to go through a period of uncertainty for God to say, okay, God, I'm, God's setting me up. And he's setting me up for a reservation. We sang these words, and I asked specifically the band this morning, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. God's working in your background.
He's working in the places you can't see. And, and, and just like a, a table in a restaurant, he's reserved you for a time. He's reserved you for a purpose. He's reserved you for a place. And there will be a time when God will come and say, hang on, I need you now. He will call you for a specific purpose. When the time is right, God will call. So this donkey had never been ridden. It was tied up with no sense of purpose, but now suddenly it's untied. Suddenly this donkey has a purpose. It was where it needed to be, and it had a purpose. Next thing is the donkey was redeemed. The donkey was paid for. Band, if you'll, if you'll join me. You know the disciples didn't steal the donkey? They didn't just take it. There was permission there. And I want to... What would happen? They had to redeem the donkey or, or at least hire the donkey. And it says in the text that Jesus said, listen, we'll bring it back. So there, there, there was a cost to hire it. And I want you to catch the significance of this. Because Exodus 13 says that a firstborn donkey can, can be bought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb. Or presenting a young goat in its place to purchase a donkey from its owner the payment, the redemption was with a lamb. To pay for something, to purchase a donkey, you had to redeem it with a lamb. And I want you to catch that in God's economy, the only way you can be redeemed is with a lamb. The only way you can be paid for is with the price of a lamb. And Jesus didn't send a lamb with the disciples. Jesus was the lamb. John the Baptist says, look, here's the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans 8 says, God did what the law couldn't do. He sent his own son in a body. God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And I don't know if you know this. I found this out this week when I studied donkeys. But a donkey always has a cross on its back. I don't know if you know that. Every donkey carries a cross on its back. And I'm not a scientist. I don't understand the biology. But whenever I see that, I see a donkey that's paid for. I see a donkey that's been redeemed. I see a donkey that carries the mark of its owner. We've been redeemed. We've been paid for at great cost. Jesus paid the price for us. And he brought us back. And it wasn't just to buy us back. He redeemed us for a purpose. He brought us back for a purpose. We call it here rebuilding our lives. He brought us back to do what we have been created and called to do. We've been brought back to go and make a difference. So the donkey was where it needed to be. The donkey had a purpose. The donkey was redeemed. And the donkey was released. See, the donkey wasn't just redeemed. He wasn't just bought back. He hadn't been paid for. The donkey was released to do what he was meant to do. See, Jesus can't release you until he redeems you. It doesn't work like that. But when he does redeem you, he gets the authority to release you. He has the right to release you. And there are so many people in churches up and down this country, you're redeemed, but you're not released. 
You can be redeemed and not be released. I said that this happens directly after the, the narrative of Lazarus. And that's important because when Jesus raises Lazarus um, from the dead, Lazarus walks out of his grave and Jesus says this, unwrap him and let him go. He'd been redeemed. He'd been brought back. He'd been brought back to life, but there was something that was still tying him to the grave because he was still wearing his grave clothes. And Jesus says, unwrap him and let him go. He was revived, but he wasn't released. He was alive again, but he couldn't go out and live his life because he was carrying the grave. See, the donkey had to be untied before it could go and live out its purpose. It had to be released. It had to have that rope taken off it. And, and whatever you're feeling tied to, whatever is around your neck, God says, I want to take that off because I want to let you go. I want to release you into what I've called you to do because I've got a need of you. I've got a plan for you. Your sin would love to tie you up. The devil would love to keep you captive. He'd love to keep you tied up out of the plans and out of the purposes of God. He'd love to steal your joy. He would love to kill your dreams. He'd love to destroy your future. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life. And you might have life to the full, that you might have freedom. Jesus said, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Can we just bow our heads? just briefly while the band continue. And you might be in one of those places this morning. And I realize I'm, I'm speaking on, 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 a, on a lot of levels, but you might need this morning to make a, a rededication just to stay rooted, just to stay planted in the place that God needs you. You might have been tempted to wander away, but maybe this morning God's stirring you to stay to stay rooted, stay planted, stay close because he needs you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life that only you can do. So if that's you, I'd love to invite you in these next few moments, just in your heart to make that, that rededication, that recommitment to, to stay planted, to stay where God needs you to be or even to bring yourself back to where God needs you. Some of you may be feeling tied up and you may be like that tied up donkey. You know God, you know he's got a plan, you know he's got a plan for you, but you just can't get free. You can't break free and you might need prayer this morning and you might be thinking, well, actually I need someone to come alongside me and declare in my life that I'm, that I'm going to come untied. I'm going to come untied from that addiction. I'm going to come untied from that habit. I'm going to come untied from that negative thought. I'm going to come untied from that bad relationship. I'm going to come untied from my past. I'm going to come untied so I can live in my freedom. And if that's you, we'd love to pray for you. But where you are, why don't you in your heart make that, make that decision? That you're going to start that journey. That you are, are going to start that journey of becoming untied and you'd walk in freedom and into the plans and purposes that God's got. And the final group of people is this. That maybe actually you just don't know God. You don't know what it is to be redeemed. You don't know what it is to be paid for. And can I tell you, God knows 
who you are. He knows what you've done, but he loves you no matter what. He loves you no matter how you've lived your life. God loves you. He loves you so much. He gave his son for you. The Bible says we've all done things wrong. The Bible calls it sin. And, and when we do something wrong, there's a price to pay. There's a cost to redeem us for what we've done wrong. But the Bible says we've been redeemed. We have been paid for at great cost, the cost of Jesus' own life. And what God would ask you to do is accept that. And he would ask you to walk in the freedom that he's promised you and into the plans and his purposes. So I'm going to say a very short prayer. And if you know that's you, then I'd love you to pray with me just in your heart. Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. Please forgive me. I turn from everything that I know is wrong. I know that you died on the cross so that I could be redeemed and that I could be released. Thank you, God, you offer me forgiveness and you offer me the gift of your spirit. God, would you come into my life and be with me forever. Thank you, God. Amen. If you said that prayer, we'd love to, to chat with you. I'm not going to ask for a, a public declaration, but if you said that prayer, do just go to someone you know, someone you feel comfortable with. If you need prayer for anything that we've mentioned today, again, go to someone you're comfortable with and they, they would love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. But we're going to end this morning by singing this song again. That for all of us, even when we can't see it, he's working. Even when we can't feel it, he's working. Even when we don't understand it, he's working. Even when we can't see the, 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 the end from the beginning, he is working. He never stops working. God, we thank you we have that promise that you're always working in our lives, that you are constantly working in our lives. You know where we are and you've got a plan to come and get us to release us into what we're called to do.